The FDA is under pressure to make calls on the next round of vaccines, the boosters, as well as Merck's pill that I believe you take if you get COVID and it pretty much stops it in its tracks. There's concern that if the pill comes to market, it'll be hard to keep getting people to get these underwhelmingly effective vaccines. And right now, all three makers, including Johnson & Johnson of the American vaccines, have boosters that they say are ready to go. Interestingly enough, with the Johnson & Johnson booster, uh, apparently it makes it just as effective as the other vaccines. Apparent, apparently, when the Johnson & Johnson vaccine was being produced, they only did the tests as far as getting the drug approved using the one shot, which gave like 80% protection um, for a matter of months. When these vaccines were produced, they either lied or they were somehow mistaken, even though they're the world's leading experts on creating these things, that the vaccine would work indefinitely, even though it's only effective for like at most six months, it looks like. But anyway, Johnson & Johnson had... 80% compared to 90% efficacy with just one shot, whereas the others required two for that. And so from a, a marketing standpoint and from a public health standpoint, they felt like it would be enough to give people who are hesitant about getting two shots just the single shot and that that would provide uh, strong enough immunity. Remember what we're talking about when we're talking about these percentages is we're talking about deaths of people who would actually have problems with COVID. So let's say that COVID affected 1% of people, then that means that if a shot was 90% effective, that means that nine-tenths of that 1% would not die. So we're talking about eight-tenths of 1% and nine-tenths of 1%, and it's actually lower than that technically. We're talking about the difference in effectiveness between Johnson and Johnson versus Moderna and Pfizer. However, even back then they knew that they could do a double dose and that double dose actually made it just as effective, if not more effective than the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines, which is really interesting because the marketing was that the, their MRNA activity was making them superior to the Johnson & Johnson. But it actually appears that per dose, Johnson & Johnson is more superior. So right now that's a hot topic for the FDA to address. And I think the FDA is a bit of a clown show. So the FDA doesn't release their numbers too often. They're business numbers, right? But they do have them. And in 2010, they last released them. And uh, they have a budget of of $3 billion annually. Actually, it's more than $3 billion now. But at the time, they had 15,000 employees. And let's be clear, those employees are not all the world's leading scientists. Most of those employees are not scientists or doctors at all. What the fuck are they? What the fuck are they doing? This week, the FDA came out with their own news bite about how they were going to make a change recommending that uh, food manufacturers have less salt in their products. 
as if that's some kind of consequential big deal. Now, given it's kind of funny how much uh, salt Americans eat, one of the reasons is because we are genetically and chemically predisposed to enjoy salt. It magnifies flavor for us so that we use it because it's a vital electrolyte. Sodium and potassium work together as electrolytes, and calcium and magnesium work together as electrolytes, and there are some adjunct ones like chloride and zinc that are a little less important in terms of hydration and electrolytes, but most of us have magnesium and potassium deficient diets, and so it is a problem when we take in tons of salt without other nutrients. But we're talking about a recommendation from an organization that for almost the entirety of my life recommended that people eat enough carbohydrates every single day to give themselves diabetes. Recommend that people eat 11 servings of grains, including wheat, for health purposes, even though wheat by nature is an inflammatory thing to digest because of the gluten slash gliadin that it has in it. Doesn't mean that, that people should all avoid it. And I'm not talking about celiac disease. Uh, I'm talking about health and inflammation. And one of the major reasons that the FDA did that was because they needed to sell the wheat that they are in business with farmers to grow, which the government subsidizes, um, to keep those farmers basically in business, keep them in a position to be able to produce foodstuffs. And one of the reasons that is, is because wheat is relatively easy to grow. And we've got a lot of stupid people out there. I'm not saying farmers are stupid. In fact, a lot of very savvy farmers grow wheat for the financials of it, to take advantage of the subsidies. Just like people will buy a truckload, I believe it's a, a car over 8,000 or 10,000 pounds, a, a truck, like they might buy a Tesla SUV that meets that qualification and then they, then they take advantage of all of the, uh, all of the tax credits and bonuses you get for purchasing an electric vehicle and they don't even buy the electric vehicle because they love electricity. They buy it because they can write the whole thing off for their business. It's a savvy business move. But instead of doing something that would help obesity in America, instead of doing something that would help counter diabetes, they're going to recommend that people who make microwave meals put less salt in them. Which is funny also because if you're like eating a microwave meal, are you probably out for health? I haven't had a microwave in my house in a decade because microwaving food, especially in plastic, is a really disadvantageous thing to do. There's such bigger issues. In 2011, the FDA replaced their poisonous food pyramid with a poisonous food plate. 
It still recommended dairy every day. They put a glass of milk next to the plate. I'm not making this up. This is, this is the result of 15,000 Americans working together. They came up with a plate. And they recommend as much grain as they recommend vegetables, which are the two, uh, the two highest, which are the two types of food recommended the most. And then equal amounts protein and fruit. So they basically recommend the thing that has made Americans obese, excess carbohydrates, they continue to recommend in the highest concentration out of all of the types of food, the macronutrients. It's very interesting. It'd be very interesting if this was like a book report or something that like a second grade class did, but this is 15,000 employees. Talk about government bloat. Yeah, I know. They, they handle, they look at menus for schools to make sure they're FDA compliant. They, they check the labels on supplements really slowly. And they do deals with pharmaceutical companies to, to agree to something that's a fair compromise between how many people a drug kills and maximizing profits for everybody. And when we talk about jobs in America, these are actually good jobs to have. These are our good jobs. And every year that there's an election, the candidates come out talking about numbers of jobs and they say arbitrary things like we're going to we're going to grow our manufacturing jobs. Like that means something. And the only people that actually care are people who are just a few years out from retirement or retired. And then they, they mindlessly shift into the couch surfers that say, oh, jobs, yeah, jobs. And they respond to that like it's a good thing. Meanwhile, the people who don't watch the news can tell you if there are any actual jobs available, and they can tell you if they're good jobs because they're the ones working them. Most of the jobs in America are pure fake business. The worst are manual labor jobs for fake business. I used to collect the trash off of a cruise ship when it would dock in Virginia. I would show up with a big truck that had been purchased for the purpose of picking up people on cruise ships' trash, and I would come and they would unload dumpsters, dumpsters of trash from rich people on cruises and my truck would keep running I would have to leave it running because I would have to continually move my trailer slightly so that they could dump straight in and not miss because if they missed then I would have to pick up the trash off of the ground that was covered in sludge and you know the mixture of of thrown away lobster juice and diapers and everything else that's the byproduct of these rich, disgusting Scandinavian people on these cruise ships. So fuel's running all day. And I'm picking this shit up and I'm taking it to a landfill. So this is just trash that's been loaded by plenty of European people, plenty of African people, 
plenty of people who aren't even from America. And the cruise ship has done a deal with America to create jobs where we'll just let people bring their trash. They can just dump their shit on American land. And then the governor of Virginia will say, hey, look, we created jobs. And then the people sitting on the couches watching CNN and Fox, who are 65 years old, will say, yeah, I'm voting for whoever created those jobs. And they never ask what the jobs are. These people, these entrepreneurs that do the landscaping at my house, they, they can't seem to read my mind about when I want to record and they just show up and they don't understand that I need them to come back later. So now I'm trying to talk over my dog who's walking around with a gold chain on and trying to eat flies. And lawnmowers and weed whackers and whatever the fuck the air blowers are called. I think they're just called air blowers. All running on gas, by the way. And Gavin Newsom has just outlawed gasoline engines. And and Gavin Newsom has just outlaw, outlawed and Gavin Newsom has just outlawed lawnmowers and air blowers. Let's take another fake job. Let's say that you lease photocopy machines. That's supposedly better than picking up trash for cruise ships and dumping it in American landfills. So you lease photocopiers, right? So the, the photocopiers are made by Samsung and they're made in Asia and they're shipped over here and we pay full price for them over there in Asia. And then this company has space to hold a whole bunch of photocopiers. And they hire a good American fella who did well in school to go out and lease photocopiers for them. I mean, this noise in the background is truly insane. So a guy goes out and he's really good at leasing photocopiers and he makes good deals and he's got these things going for $200 a month. Meanwhile, the copier costs $8,000 and every couple of years they're going to need an upgrade or it's going to break and they'll need to have it completely replaced. So as you lease out these photocopiers, and they give you your $56,000 annual salary that involves a $30,000 base and then commissions on top of that. Where the fuck do all these photocopiers go? When every couple of years, that 117 pounds of electronics and machinery has to go somewhere because it's being replaced. Right into the dump, right along with all the dirty Norwegian diapers. And lobster juice. And during those 24 months, did that lease pay for the price that the company paid up front for the photocopiers? No. That was all a business write-off. 
a write-off on some of their taxes because the federal government still collected taxes. This, the federal government still collected funding from a company that never paid off what it was buying to provide someone in the first place. And it just added extra shit to our landfills, our actual dumps. And yet we're complaining about homeless people by the freeway being a mess and Bitcoin being wasteful when our entire economy is built on the back of completely arbitrary, unnecessary wastefulness. What has the home shopping network ever sold that was essential? What is one thing people needed from that channel existing? How many people work for the home shopping network? The home shopping network employs 7,000 people. to sell fake home goods and fashion to people via the internet and television. 7,000 people with fake jobs at the Home Shopping Network, 15,000 fake jobs at the FDA. God knows how many fake jobs selling fake copiers. Pardon me, very real copiers that are just never actually paid for. And it's not like most of these copiers then get sold used on the market and recirculated through the population here in the, throughout the American economy. It's not like it's a used car where that sort of does happen, at least with certain, certain brand makes and models. My whole life, we were told we needed to go to college, and now experts are coming out and saying college is a waste of money. And I've seen college as two very distinct things ever since I went through the experience because I started out as an English, I actually started out as a communications major and then became an English major. Like I thought my mom had been, although I don't think she had been, I think she was an art major. And then I began taking science classes a little over a year into college because I decided I wanted to be a chiropractor and you had science and biology and you had science and math prerequisites to get into school there. I almost minored in chemistry, but I got a D plus in, I believe it was organic chemistry too. And at William and Mary, you can't retake classes. And if you get a D you're disqualified from being able to have a major or a minor in a, in a given subject. So anyway, I didn't minor in any sort of science, but I took a lot of science classes and then I got a doctorate degree in chiropractic. The difference becoming an English literature major and becoming a mechanical engineer is night and day. They don't have anything in common. The studying's different, the preparation's different, the work is different, and it's a lot less work to become an English literature major. It's a lot easier to read Emily Bronte, even though when you get into the English class, because everything is, is 
done within its own scope, the teacher will tell you, Emily Bronte is going to be very difficult to read. And that's because out of all the other stuff that you read, it is very difficult. But you're reading easy stuff. It's not like you're reading a physics textbook. The United States has an entire... The United States has an entire catalog of college majors that just prepare you for fake business. Some of the best schools in the country specialize in marketing majors. You see a lot of minorities enter college and, uh, and take it a completely different way than you see American kids. American kids grew up watching Dazed and Confused and, and college comedies and looked at school as a chance to party. And for them it usually is. Whereas a lot of minorities come to America or have worked diligently in America and get into school and they look at it as a job. They look at it as an opportunity to change their life. Whereas a lot of American kids are looking at it as, as let's pause on the life that's already pretty fun and have as much fun as possible and still try to maintain the life that we were born into. You see Japanese and Indian kids studying engineering and they're studying medicine and they're studying subject matter that is going to be needed for generations and is very lucrative. You can be paid to work much more than negotiate in many of these careers, right? And they're not coming from a place of entitlement. They're coming from a place of, please you know, let me earn my keep by doing a profession that contributes to society. A lot of the boomers who had gone to college grew up with pretty exciting lives. They were able to live with a mother staying at home because a dad was, if they, if they had a middle-class job, that job paid for them to be able to support their family and own a home and own at least one car with that middle-class job. The dollar went a long way. There was a family structure in place. Public schools were sufficient, and they were providing kids with a, a reasonable education that certainly prepared them for college and didn't become a financial drain on the family. We had less people, and we had more jobs that made sense. And you saw that when you heard about working class kids going to college. They moved into a college town and even, even then they were able to find a job that suited them in a way that allowed them to have some sort of uh, skill or respect earned. They could work at a nice restaurant or they could walk over to the local bike shop and say, hey, do you need someone to fix tires? Now transportation for so many kids in colleges is done with a card silence, and an electric bus system. Beer was cheap and anybody could afford to party. And in fact, for baby boomers, a lot of them were allowed to drink even when they were 18. They drank lower percentage alcohol beer. And I think each one costs like a nickel. So you get drunk for a couple of bucks. If you chose to get drunk, and being drunk wasn't a necessary part of college, but what I mean to say is people 
were studying and it wasn't an elitist activity like it is today where rich kids are able to go and not have to work at all and can just party and and bars charge adult prices for alcohol and have basically a club scene versus your conventional college bar and otherwise kids are grinding and taking on debt and student loans and working 30 hours a week while taking their class loads just to try to scrape by. It's a very have and have not situation. And any kid who takes out a student loan is going to have a difficult time paying it back versus college costing $10,000. And, you know, you pay a few bucks for a few years and, and it gets paid off at a very low interest rate versus like the 6% that I found myself paying on my student loans. Some of my student loans were actually for more than that. When I was in elementary school, I was in this program called GATE, Gifted and Talented Education. And my group of kids in GATE, in one year, we directed, wrote, and acted in a play that was about the spotted ring-tailed lemur, which was an endangered species of kind of like a little monkey. And in the play, we devised a way to save them from being endangered and to restore their population. We built the set, we took it on the road, we acted in competitions. Um, I think we won a couple of them and ultimately lost before we had it uh, picked up to be taken on the road outside of the region. I also acted in Macbeth Productions twice and I also acted in Shakespeare productions twice, and I believe in third grade I played Macbeth on center stage, which was like a famous theater in Washington, D.C. And then by the time I finished middle school, I was being told I was retarded and needed medication because I was having a hard time sitting in classes with bad teachers, being taught boring stuff without any break and at a pace that I wasn't able to keep because I was in advanced classes across the board. All of the things that I was told I was stupid over were things that I haven't needed to use for success in life. The American history class that had a big problem with me has pretty much had all of the history that we were taught in school now rewritten because it had racist undertones. I've now done math professionally. I've done science professionally. My analysis of a Shakespearean play that I still contend I'm right about hasn't done anything for me. People in this country for a bunch of generations have been told to go into debt over becoming experts in fake business and things that don't provide a lot of inner peace and self-worth. That's one of the deeper issues in this mass resignation that's going on right now where about three to almost five million Americans each month have been resigning or quitting their jobs. A lot of the jobs are lower paying and what people who have experienced uh, both a stimulus and now some time being completely broke 
are deciding is that for the money that they were making, let's say someone was making 12 or $15 an hour, minus taxes, et cetera, et cetera. They'd rather just be poor because we have a system in America where it's very hard to lose the roof over your head and nobody really goes hungry. The truth is, is that a lot of kids do go hungry, but that's because of mismanagement of the food resources allocated by the, to the parents. But no one has to go hungry. And so if you're an adult, some people are just deciding they'd rather be poor. I decided personally, once I was already a quote unquote doctor, even though I don't really consider like an MD, the same thing as a chiropractor, but after I already was a pretty white collar professional that I would rather be, um, working class or on a less perceived track of success and be able to do activities that made me truly happy then I, I wanted to have that status of being called doctor or whatever and being able to sit at my town's rotary meetings. I also know what being completely poor is like. I've had less than zero dollars in my bank account multiple times as an adult. And there's not a whole lot worse than being poor. But... There are some things that certainly are. Being disrespected every day at work or feeling worthless because of how hard you're working for what feels like no compensation. Feeling like your life is just going down the drain and someone else is taking it can feel worse than being poor. Now, if you're sleeping on the ground with no roof over your head, that's one thing. But if you have a hot meal... If you have anything better than prison, sometimes it's worth it. And a lot of people are taking that chance. Remember, we have a lot more working class people. So, of course, if it's proportionate to what we have in America, there should be more people quitting lower paying jobs. But you also have professionals quitting their jobs because they realize that they could get a higher quality of life doing something else. Whether that means because they could work remotely or they could work less and spend more time with their family or doing things they're passionate about. Or that means that they could pursue a career that makes them feel more fulfilled. But we're running into an issue right now that if we don't want to go the ultra-conservative way of saying, all right, let's start paying people what they're truly worth in a, a more fair society, and if we were to do that, people would make more money per hour. And then we would have more people who earned enough to support their family on just one income. And then we would have less people in the workforce. And then we, had, we would have less need for all of these superfluous industries and all these desperate attempts to cash in on the public's ignorance by selling them worthless crap and dreams that had never come to fruition. Or let's let everybody work, but also let's let everybody not work. Let's start thinking about a universal basic income where if somebody wants to go do something and contribute to society or they want to go do something where they can level up their life and have nicer things, they can do that. But 
We don't put pressure on people to provide food, shelter, and health care to themselves if they don't work. Because right now, expecting everyone to find meaning in our economy and the, the, what the modern job landscape looks like is silly. Most of these jobs suck. I mean, jobs have always sucked, but at least they contributed to something tangible. Nowadays, most people do nothing for nothing. They sell fake products to people who are fake interested in things, who are just trying to be interested because they're understimulated because they haven't done enough real things. And they get fake money that goes up and down. And they argue about what's fake because they're told to on fake news channels. And they have fake friends that they talk to through what they call a phone, but isn't really a phone, it's a fake phone. It's a portal into the metaverse. And everything just lacks meaning. When I was of college age, my dad explained to me that a lot of the point of college in America wasn't what you were studying. It was just to show that you could complete a body of work. Like an employer could see that you were given homework and you actually turned in enough of the homework and you studied for enough of the tests that you could get passing grades in enough of these classes that it would amount to a passing degree. At the time, that meant something to me. It still does make some sense. It makes sense that we want to have something in place like that so that we can get a holistic picture of what somebody's able to do before we hire them. What doesn't make sense is how much we charge for that. I went to one of the colleges with the highest concentrations of diversity and also some, one of the highest number of commuters. I believe we had like 34,000 students 20 years ago at George Mason University. And there were a lot of immigrants there working very hard. There were also a lot of white people and, and African Americans and blah, blah, blah. There were a lot of different kinds of people there that, uh, who were actually attending to get careers going. And that was, that was one experience. I also then went to the College of William & Mary, where there were a lot of wealthy people's children who were mostly white, and they were working occasionally hard to get their degrees. The kids in the chemistry department I got to know were definitely working harder than the students who would go on to be lawyers and teachers and politicians and so on and so forth. The arts degrees were not hard work. Now, law school is, but the prep for that, not necessarily. And kids going to 
get their bachelor's of arts degrees had plenty of time to party and talk about the things that they were studying, which were arbitrary. And the interesting thing about the dichotomy between bachelor's of science and bachelor's of arts degrees and the irony that we have the same names for those graduates. And so the people with the same names feel entitled or feel they have a place to talk about the same things. But bachelor's of arts degree teaches you to create a justification for any opinion you might come up with. It teaches you to explain yourself. And it, it teaches that if you explain yourself with enough rationale, you can choose that you are right. And no one can tell you you are wrong. Science teaches you how to find out if you're wrong. One involves math, one does not. One checks the math, one doesn't check anything, it just makes assumptions. And in different worlds, that Bachelor's of Arts degree is very helpful. But when someone is a medical doctor, they're a doctor somewhat of critical thinking and deduction. And someone who is a doctor of poetry is not the same thing. And yet, plenty of doctors of arts have talked about what people should be doing with our public health as of late. And while they might be the best ones to explain it, they should only be acting as a mouthpiece for a doctor, if you think about it, for a medical doctor or a, a PhD of research, of chemistry, or of biology. My time at William & Mary around all the Bachelors of Arts students was super pleasant. It was really nice. It was the closest thing to a vacation I had my entire life. Unfortunately, I'd spent, you know, a bunch of the years directly before it having a lot of trauma. And so while I was there, thank God it gave me a place to cool down a little bit, but I wasn't able to really enjoy it. And in retrospect, it was the biggest opportunity for enjoyment that I had my whole life other than my current life. But my current life requires me to make X amount of money and carry a lot of risk and also now wear a mask everywhere and avoid this and that and show my passport. And Back then I could come and go as I pleased. Work wasn't all that hard. The hardest work I had was science homework. And I had access to a lot of people who weren't under a lot of stress. Nowadays, Everybody's stressed out, no matter where they went to school. But I also know a lot of people in my current life who didn't go to college. And they spent those years doing things that forms more character. And while it's a crapshoot on whether or not they now make as much money as the college friends that I have, because it seems to be almost 50-50, They tend to come at the political and social landscape from a slightly different place. The Bachelors of Arts graduates seem to be the people who come from what I perceive as the most unrealistic place. And the, the science degrees and the people with no degrees appear to have more in common. The majority of people who 
are pushing the boundaries of gender aren't science people. The majority of the people embracing extreme woke culture aren't science people. And I don't think that that is a declaration that they're wrong. I think that's a declaration that they aren't familiar with being forced to use accurate terminology. And I think that they run across, for instance, the word gender, and they feel a connection to it. And so they feel like they want to modify the meaning of gender. What people with common sense and science backgrounds innately know that they need to do is test their opinion, not run with it. Back when I was trying to be a jiu-jitsu nerd, I used to watch moves on YouTube that looked cool. And then later that day, I would go into class and see if they worked. A lot of times moves that seemed like a great idea in an isolated teaching setting via YouTube didn't really work against my opponents. When I was a chiropractic student and I would have to write research papers, my opinions or conclusions on a treatment or a diagnosis needed to be supported by research papers. And those research papers needed to demonstrate the evidence that I was suggesting. I couldn't just add research papers and have my professor assume that I had used the right ones. My professors would typically check my references and see if I had been able to read the report properly. This is yet another reason why it's important for research to be peer-reviewed. A group of a scientist's peers make sure that they set up their experiment properly, that they didn't miss a step that would diminish the validity of their findings. At some point, with these economic numbers, critical thinkers are going to want to know more than how many jobs do we have. They're going to want to know what are these jobs doing in a function as a function of our society and what kind of jobs are going to create a flourishing economy that creates opportunities for both lower and upper class workers and for immigrants and people born in America otherwise we can all look forward to a future where we're more and more likely to become hoarders. And more and more likely to end up in the back office of a cat urine riddled, termite infested, rotten egg covered mobile home. And even though we have access to face rejuvenating serums and plastic surgery that can make us look like anyone we want. We'll just be hiding back there with our faces rotting off, looking like the hoarders we see on TV today with untreated diabetes, long pneumonia and a respiratory infection, and thank God, no COVID.